Hello, readers. Curtis Joseph is a former All-Star goalie who played 19 years in the National Hockey League with St. Louis, Edmonton, Toronto, Detroit, Phoenix, and Calgary. He also has a hell of a life story to tell, which he did in the book Cujo, the untold story of my life on and off the ice. Curtis, thank you for the time. How are you today? Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing very well, Curtis. Thank you very much. The book's title is your nickname, which of course is not only one of the coolest nicknames in hockey, but in all of sports. You even had a goalie mask made with the Killer Dog's likeness on it from the Stephen King book at one point in your career. Have you ever actually read the book Pet Cemetery or seen the movie adaptation? Um, I uh, I almost finished uh, Cujo a long time ago, but uh, I read a, a lot of it, but... Um, I'm more of a um, nonfiction type of reader, but uh, definitely I've benefited from the book Cujo. Fair enough. Well, there are elements of your childhood that may as well be straight out of Stephen King's brain. And uh, this part of your story has received a fair amount of attention since you started promoting the book. For people who haven't heard, would you mind describing what your home life was like from about the age of 10 to 16 years of age? Well, it was... um it was a uh, mental uh, home for uh, 20 mental patients. So they range from, you know, severely uh, damaged to mildly damaged. And, you know, you were friends with, uh, you You lived amongst our, uh, we had an apartment in the house right in the center and you lived amongst um, the mentally ill patients. So it was a little different for sure. I never had kids over after school, needless to say. <laughs> So, um, you know, being being adopted to being a foster kid too was uh, was a little different. So, um, but those stories are very factual in the book, and uh, it made me who I was. So I wouldn't change it for a thing. That my childhood, um, as a kid, you don't really uh, understand that you're different until you see other families. But um, it, uh, I wouldn't bring my kids up that way for sure. But uh, Certainly, it met its challenges, and, and I think it made me who I was. It made me stronger. What were the positives that you took away from uh, growing up in a home for the mentally ill? Well, I learned how to fend for myself, uh, for one thing, and I learned, uh, um, you know, how to interact and, and have your head on a swivel a lot of times and uh, just how to protect yourself a little bit. So um, good life skills. <laughs> and uh, a character from the book who uh, you just mentioned was your adopted mom. She was married to a man that you uh, you care deeply for, but uh, unfortunately your adopted mom uh, was not the greatest of women. How do you describe her to people? And this is a woman that you did not see past the age of 16. Yeah, she, um, at some point she must have really uh, uh, taken a liking to me to to take me from Wendy Monroe. But um, I think she had raised her kids, and she was a lot older uh, than most uh, parents were. And, and uh, I think she fell victim to uh, the medications in the house uh, also. So she was not present uh, most of the time in my childhood. But uh, um, she had a lot of uh, issues, for sure, to say the least. And uh, But like I said, it made me learn how to fend for myself and uh, made me a stronger person. Curtis, uh, I was watching a recent interview with you on TV a couple of days ago, and it's just certain things that uh, people take for granted growing up. It was the story of the first time you went to a grocery store for the majority of your childhood, really the entirety of your childhood. You had never walked in a grocery store, and the first time you went in there, will you explain uh, just what that was like, what that experience was like finally stepping into a grocery store for the first time? Yeah, it was... um 
yeah, it was awesome. All that food and all that good food. And <laughs> I like going in grocery stores now. And uh, fortunately, you know, I can afford to buy uh, a lot of food because of hockey. But uh, and, and I'm probably a little over the top with my kids as far as feeding them. Um, it's something that sticks with you as your, as your childhood. I make sure my kids have tons of food and I enjoy going to the grocery store. So to see all that food in one place and all that good food um, was a real surprise. Curtis, when did you start playing hockey, and how quickly did you realize you were actually pretty good at it? Well, I started at uh, 10 years old. Uh, somebody had handed handed me over, uh, had paid for it, and handed uh, the team over to me. And um, I couldn't skate. I couldn't skate a lick. I was a good athlete and played road hockey, and I was never a goalie. I was always a scorer. And then I got out there, and I couldn't skate, so I was so disappointed. And uh, they threw me in net the next game, and I couldn't skate, but I just got up and fell down, got up and fell down and tried to get in front of it. And uh, that's how I became a goalie. I never had the passion to be a goalie to start. I didn't, you know, I wasn't the kid that loved the equipment or the masks or anything like that. I, I really always say that the position chose me because I started so late in life. And uh, you also tell some wild stories about playing youth hockey in the 1980s, including a fight that got so crazy that the fans jumped in, the police were called, and the game was eventually canceled. Now, the sport has made a conscious shift away from a level of gratuitous violence that movies like Slapshot convinced the public was just a regular part of the process. Do you think that hockey as a whole is better off for that change? It's it's certainly different, and I have this discussion with uh, players from my era, and... uh, we loved the game back then. We loved our teammates. I'm not saying it's better, but we loved the way it was. And most of the tough guys on the team were always your best friends. They were protectors. They were great humans. And it's sad to see that part out. But I understand with concussions and protocol and everything else that uh, it, it's not great to have it. And on the other flip side, you know, some of the skill is allowed to shine a little more than, than the clutching and grabbing. And, uh, and the smaller skilled forward has is, is been able to shine and show his stuff like a kid like Mitch Marner or Johnny Goudreau. I'm glad these guys are in the league. It's amazing. So it's a great product now. It's just, it's just a little different. Earlier this year, a Canadian junior hockey team made international news after the Humboldt Hounds bus crashed while on a road trip, killing 16 young men and injuring 13 others. The news really resonated with you based on your time as an amateur. How so? Well, I played in that Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, and it was my big break. I uh, played for Notre Dame Hounds, and uh, we traveled those roads, and they're icy, and but you can see from a long ways away. So, um, you know, I've been at that that intersection, uh, you know, dozens of times, and I'm sure in a bus, and uh, it was uh, heartbreaking for the whole country. It was heartbreaking for uh, everybody who who's traveled on a bus. It was it was just devastating, and. Uh, um, to lose your child um, is it, always tough, but certainly that was uh, it was something that uh, every Canadian uh, mourned about. Absolutely, and uh, human beings to uh, to various degrees as well. Now, you played for a single season at the University of Wisconsin in Madison before leaving school with a million-dollar opportunity to play in the NHL as an undrafted rookie free agent. Why did you ultimately decide to sign with St. Louis over the other three teams that were pursuing you? Yeah, it's a good question. I uh, I felt very comfortable. Brian Sutter picked me up at the airport and and uh, really made an effort. I went and visited his family and met his wife and his kids, and uh, he really 
Um, seemed like a great guy. I knew Rod Brindamore, who was on the team, and it just seemed like a nice fit. Um, I heard about Blues fans and how they love their hockey and they embrace their athletes, and um, it certainly was somewhere that I felt comfortable and wanted to be a part of, and, uh, and Brian Sutter definitely helped, uh, made you feel like family. Your former Blues teammate, Tony Twist, is one of the most renowned enforcers in the history of the sport. I was blown away by how he used to train his hands to be prepared for fights. Do you mind sharing that with the people? Well, <laughs> Twister was, uh, he was a, a different bird, no question. But uh, um, I won't get into it at, uh, on a detailed level. I hope everybody reads the book. But I watched him prepare for games and... Uh, and um, knowing that he was going to fight, so I would sit across from him, and he really uh, he worked at it. He would do punching bag. He would do uh, um, all kinds of fighting techniques, and I guess it was a little over the top, but he was, uh, he was certainly the, uh, one of the best enforcers that I've ever seen and one of the scariest humans. Uh, and I would talk to guys on other players on other teams, and they were like, I am never coming near that guy. So he had the respect. <laughs> Uh, everybody in the entire league. Since we're talking about fighting, i got to ask you, because it's one of the most exciting plays in hockey that doesn't actually involve the puck being in play, it is the goalie fight. Did you ever get yourself into a goalie fight? And uh, if so, what was the outcome? Oh, yeah. No, you have to uh, um, Google Curtis Joseph goalie fights. And uh, (laughs) there's one in particular uh, um, with Detroit and uh, St. Louis. When I was playing in St. Louis, uh, my buddy Kelly Chase started a brawl, and Bob Probert was on the ice fighting two guys, and it happened like a minute or two minutes into the game, and the fans went crazy, and everybody on the ice was fighting. And Tim Shevelday was the goalie for Detroit at the time, and he came down to center ice, and he jumped in the melee, and I saw him. I was like, wow, i got to get up there. So I went out there, and uh, it was a battle royale. And uh, um, fortunately, I came out on top, and I, I received so much press for that fight alone uh, <laughs> more than any other win that we had that year. So if I'd have known that was going to happen, I would have I would have fought a lot sooner, maybe my first couple games. Is that is that how it usually happens with goalie fights? Like you guys are so far away from each other, I can't quite figure out how the trash talk can uh, travel that far down the ice. Uh, what's like the normal goalie fight protocol when it does happen? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's what it is. If the other goalie jumps in or, or uh, everybody's paired off, uh, and the other goalie jumps in. You have to it, you have to skate out of your net, and uh, and then it's on. And then the fans uh, get really excited about uh, something about goalies with all that equipment uh, fighting because it doesn't happen very often. Now, hockey players are known for playing through pain, especially come playoff time. They are some of the toughest SOBs on the planet. What's the proudest injury you played through in pursuit of Lord Stanley's Cup? Oh wow, yeah, good question. I. Uh, I had multiple groin injuries, uh, like, uh, you know, that you'd play in the playoffs and you, uh, uh, you know, that were your, you felt like your groin was coming off the bone. And for a goalie, you have to be able to do the splits and to make kick saves. So definitely a lot of groin, uh, severe groin injuries. And probably the, the most is though I, uh, I broke my jaw in, uh, in a pregame uh, morning skate with a slap shot to the face. And I went in, it was killing me, and uh, the trainer looked at it. They, they said, no, it's fine. Go for an x-ray after the game. It was the first game of the playoffs. I'm playing for Detroit. And uh, played the whole series, and I'm eating spaghetti, one noodle 
uh, through a straw, one noodle at a time. <laughs> and uh, we ended up losing in game seven. And I, I went back to Toronto uh, to where I, where I live after the season. And I went to my dentist. I thought I needed some a, ro- a root canal or something. And he comes out. He goes, I got good news and bad news. And I said, oh, man, what's the... What's the good news? He goes, well, you don't, uh, you don't need a root canal. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. I go, what's the bad news? And he goes, oh, you broke your jaw. Here it is right here. <laughs> in the middle of my chin. Um, played the whole series like that. and um, <laughs> Funny how it's, uh, it, uh, apparently it didn't show up on the x-ray right away, apparently. But anyway, that was the toughest one, probably. You tell some pretty incredible stories about the injuries that you dealt with. The Skate to the Face is another one that I really enjoyed and I'm going to encourage oh. people to uh, check out as part of the book Cujo, The Untold Story of My Life on and off the ice. Curtis Joseph is who we're speaking with right now. Now, speaking of injuries, Curtis, uh, you've obviously seen some gruesome things on the ice. Have you ever prayed for a teammate's well-being while in goal based on what you've seen just happen in front of you? Yeah, there's been a few instances for sure. And uh, um, one comes to mind right away because, uh, um, you know, I was talking to him the other day. But Brian Berard, he was uh, first overall pick in the NHL, and he got traded to us in Toronto and a fantastic skater and an electric defenseman. And uh, him and Matt Sundin were good friends, and, and uh, they really clicked on the ice, so it was going great for our team and, and for Brian's career. And he got Marion Hosa follow through with a, uh, a shot in front of the net, and the stick came up and hit him right in the eye. And uh, you could see the blood right away. You could see his reaction. You could hear his reaction happen right in front of me. And I said a little prayer uh, for him right away, um, hoping that he'd be okay and it subsequently, um, he lost his eyesight in that. He, he did play a few more years um, in the NHL, but uh, he was never the same player. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't see um, the same way. He just never uh, re- uh, realized that uh, superstar potential, which was really, really sad. And you hate to see, you hate to see it happen on any side, of, any side of the ice. Absolutely. And speaking of teammates, I really enjoyed how much space you gave your teammates in this book, giving us even a brief description of your buddies in youth hockey all the way up to the NFL. That's a bond you still clearly value. Is there one guy who sticks out as your all-time favorite teammate? No, I couldn't pick one guy out of all those crews. There's there's so many different personalities from different countries and, and different places. So I valued their strengths. Um, as friends and uh, and fathers and and uh, what men they were, um, I I honestly loved ninety nine point nine percent of my teammates. The hockey players are great people. I, I can tell you uh, firsthand. Uh, haven't met too many bad ones in nineteen years. So uh, and continue. I see players now and and they're great great kids. So I really loved what I did and I really looked at my teammates as family. And we did spend more time with our teammates than we did with our own families uh, uh, for about eight months. What was the TSN show Top 10 Goalies Gone Wild, and how did you end up on it during the first round of the 2000 playoffs? Yeah, it was a playoff game in in Ottawa. It was a battle of Ontario, so it's a big rivalry. and They always finished higher than us in the standings, and they were uh, ranked higher. Their odds were better to win the Stanley Cup every year. And we we managed to take them down... uh, every year, which is uh, to our benefit, obviously. But uh, I remember I was interfered with. I didn't play that well. We were very flat as a team uh, that game. It's playoffs. It means everything. And, uh, you know, uh, Mick Magoo had uh, 
had just m- missed it, I felt. And so I get up to argue, and I try and change his mind before he gets to the penalty box. <laughs> and uh, sheer frustration by me. And I go into the corner, and I, I lost an edge. I must have uh, hit it on the goalpost. Uh, goalies often lose uh, their outside edge on a goalpost. And I tried to make the turn into him, and I slipped, and I fell, and he fell on me. And it, uh, every time it, it, it's on the top ten meltdowns, uh, on TSN a lot, and uh, and every time it comes on, and my kids are around, and they're in their twenties now, the boys, they uh, every every time it's on, they they look at me and just kind of laugh, snicker, and go, "Dad, you're embarrassing." <laughs> <laughs> now you uh, you've been retired for about ten years now, which of course means you get to spend uh, more time around your kids. You have kids that uh, that are young adults, but you also have the younger kids as well. You admit in the book that yeah. what you miss most about playing is competing in the playoffs. What do you miss the least? Uh, the travel, you know, yeah. the travel, especially yeah. the first ten years of my career. It was uh, we traveled commercial. I can't imagine anymore. We'd be you know, you'd the rookies got a middle a middle seat, and these guys are big men, and you'd be, you know, fans would see you, and then they'd sit beside you on the plane and uh, talk to you about what happened last night. And guys would have black eyes and cuts and ice bags on on while they're sitting in their seats, and I mean, I can't even imagine Jeez. what that would be like today with the size of the guys too. I mean, it's a real experience for the fans. Would guys be putting shaving cream in each other? Whoever fell asleep first. Guys would be putting shaving cream on top of the guys' heads, touching their ties while they're sleeping. Uh, fans loved it. All those flights, you know, you'd think the whole the whole plane would be laughing, and the guy would wake up. He'd have a, like a a paperclip hanging from his lip, or you know, stuff like that. Just goofy stuff, but very entertaining when you're. Well, with the with the the fans and the and the mm. people out in the public, I can't even imagine that happening right now. Now, Cujo, you played for 19 years, as you mentioned, some incredible accomplishments, including an Olympic gold medal, a World Cup. You won 454 games as an NHL goaltender as well. Uh, is there an accomplishment that you're most proud of over the course of your playing career? Um, just playoffs. You know, that's where it means everything. Uh, regular season obviously was great, but. Um, you know, just being able to play in all those playoff games and uh, and big series and series wins and uh, obviously getting to play on two Olympic teams with, you know, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, and getting to play with the best players arguably that ever played in the game. Uh, those are things I fondly remember. And, and then just the simple things of uh, playing cards at the back of the bus and playing cards on the plane with your teammates. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate that I had a long career and Got to play with some great players, but uh, I'm very proud to be a good teammate and uh, somebody that uh, somebody could call anytime and I'd help them out. And in terms of this book, uh, why now? You know, you've been out of the league for about a decade at this point, and you go into, of course, your childhood and also talk about stories from your playing career. At what point did you decide that you wanted to write this book, and, and why did you wait this long to uh, to put it out there? So I met my wife 11 years ago, Stephanie, and she wanted to know all about me, you know. And uh, after, you know, I'd, I'd give her more information all the time about my childhood, which I kind of buried, uh, which I did bury. and never really told anybody, never told anybody of my teammates or anything. And um, she said, wow, that's an amazing story. You should write a book. And, of course, you're like, well, everybody's got a story. You know, what, why is mine any better than anybody else's? And then I give speeches at, um, uh, with junior hockey teams and their parents and, and uh, uh, aspiring young hockey players. And... Um, they would come up to me and go, wow, that's a great story. You should write a book. 
and then I was adopted too, and that you were the reason I became a goalie. You, you hear these things, and you go, wow, maybe I should write a book, because I think I can help some of these young men. I think I can hopefully inspire some kids that maybe don't have food, or they, don't, they didn't have a, a great upbringing or any love. Uh, you know what, I'm going to write a book. I've got to find the right person, though. So it took me a while, and Kirsty Day is absolutely the right person for me to write this story, and she is a wonderful writer, and we collaborated for about a year and uh, really put together a nice product. And like I said, it was, it was made to, to hopefully inspire and help kids overcome some obstacles. The story of your pursuit of Stephanie is also another one of those stories in this book that is uh, well worth the cost of admission. And I won't have you retell that right now. I'll encourage people to go buy Cujo, The Untold Story of My Life, on and off the ice. Just a couple more questions for Curtis Joseph. Since you brought up Stephanie, you all have uh, you all have multiple kids, but you have one kid to uh, together, uh, your daughter, Kenzie. How is Wayne Gretzky responsible for your youngest daughter, Kenzie? <laughs> yeah, it's a funny story. We... Uh... I'd go to Wayne Gretzky's fantasy camp, uh, camp every year, which is a lot of fun as pros. It's in Vegas, so we have a great time. And so uh, Stephanie was uh, my girlfriend the, the first year, and she's like, why are you going for five days to this fantasy camp, you know, when you, you do appearances for X amount? And I go, Steph, you just wait. It's so much fun. You'll see. And so she went, and, and then, uh, you know, we eventually got married and stuff. And, and Wayne was, you know, he is, uh, inundated with people all the time. Like he's the Michael Jordan of hockey. And, uh, you know, people are pulling and he's signing things and everything else. And he looks over at me. I'm just watching him. I'm grabbing a coffee. It's early in the morning. <laughs> and uh, he looks at me and amongst this chaos, he looks at me and goes, you and Steph should have a, a, a kid together. It'll bring your families together. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and then he just kept on going. It was like, wow, that's, that's interesting. And he was right. He's never wrong. <laughs> He's really wrong. <laughs> and uh, I've never heard of him being wrong. Anyway, and, uh, you know, we decided, obviously, we deliberated and uh, batted it around. I'm older. She's a little bit younger than me. And so, obviously, there's a lot that goes into it. But I thought it was an extremely funny story. And for Wayne to, to look at me and to be thinking about that at the moment it was pretty interesting. We have uh, Kenzie, who's four, <laughs> four and a half now, and, and uh, she's the... Uh, awesome and it, it couldn't have been any better and Wayne was right. When the great one says something like that, you gotta make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Hey Curtis Yeah, Curtis, uh, I want to ask you about today's NHL. I'm twenty four years old. I have never seen a Canadian team win a Stanley Cup. And I know you as a Canadian that uh, that has to pick at you all the time and it's uh, kind of a laughing stock for American hockey fans down here. There's some good teams this year. Toronto's really good under Mike Babcock. They got it figured out. Uh, Winnipeg yep. is another threat once again. Calgary's leading the Pacific Division. Is this finally the year, Curtis? Finally the year where a Canadian team will lift Lord Stanley's Cup when the season's over? Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> it would be. Uh, I think if you had a Toronto, Toronto, Winnipeg, you nailed it. Those two teams really stand out to me uh, as really having a chance. If you had a, an All Canadian final, um, you know. The, First of all, the TV in Canada would be going crazy. <laughs> covers. There wouldn't be any. There wouldn't be anything else on TV. Every station, uh, of course, and and uh, you'd have to come up for that parade, especially if it was in Toronto. If the Toronto Maple Leafs won the Stanley Cup, those players on that team would be renowned for the rest of their life. They would never buy another meal in that city again, um, guaranteed. And they'd have a. They'd all have six-figure salaries once they retire. So. Um, yeah, there's a lot on the line, and uh, hopefully, you know, 
I've worked for the Maple Leafs as, actually as an ambassador, so I'm, I'm hoping that, that they do it and I'm, I'm a part of it. And uh, I'm going to have to ask Brendan Shanahan to give me a nice title so I can get on the cup. I can get my name on that cup. Would be awesome. Exactly. Last question <laughs> for Curtis Joseph. Uh, Cujo, in looking at your stats, regular season and postseason, it's a travesty that you're not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Does that bother you at all? And what would it mean for you to receive that call from Toronto? Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for those sentiments. Uh, um, it's, it's, it's obviously, it's a, uh, you're asking a biased opinion here. Uh, who wouldn't want to be in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> I'm very proud of my career. Um, but I, I, I remember somebody said it best um, uh, when they described that kind of scenario. And I said, well, and it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thought. Just ask the players that played with the player or against the player, and they would know best, you know. So um, I, I like that idea, you know. So um, <laughs> maybe in the future in baseball or whatever, you, you'd probably have a poll of the players, and they'd be pretty accurate, I'm sure, of, uh, of who gets in the, the Hall of Fame. No doubt about that. He is Curtis Joseph, former All-Star goalie in the NHL, played 19 seasons with St. Louis, Edmonton, Toronto, Detroit, Phoenix, Calgary, and Toronto again. He's also got a hell of a life story to tell in the new book, Cujo, The Untold Story of My Life on and Off the Ice. You can buy it now wherever books are sold. Curtis, thank you so much for the time today. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Curtis. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on.